thanks so much, Tim, for being here today. You're my 10th guest on the Wave Capital guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. And I'm so happy for you to be here today. And Thank thanks you. so much, Howie Schwab, uh, our friend, formerly of ESPN, my former colleague, to introduce us and for you to be a guest on the uh, segment of this uh, broadcast and this podcast. Uh, Tim, when you hear relationship building, what does that mean to you? Everybody has their own personal definition, but what does relationship building mean to Tim Brando? Acquiring trust. Uh, it all starts with trust and, and judgment. And our business, everything that we do uh, is based on uh, judgment and trust. And um, I tell people, especially young broadcasters that are on their way up here, and I always mention to them that, um, you know, as time rolls forward and uh, you begin to emerge into the person you are in this business, uh, remember to treat people uh, the right way on the way up because uh, there will be hills and valleys. And for those that treat others poorly that are in support positions, uh, once you reach a, a, a seminal moment or an inflection point that maybe gets you going in the wrong direction, there'll be no golden parachute. Uh, it's, it's those relationships that you built over time that will sustain you through whatever difficulty that you have. And in order to be successful, even before you have whatever issues that might crop up, and inevitably they do, uh, you're, the better part of me is we. Uh, I, I won't step into the booth to call a football game unless I have uh, uh, a statistician and or content coordinator, as I prefer calling Scott Alexander, uh, with me, uh, an extra uh, conscience, if you will, an understanding of, of the game and the way I want to present a game. Uh, a spotter uh, that I absolutely trust in Brett Bender, who happens to be the son of the legendary Gary Bender, who called games for many years. Brett's with me for every game. Mm -hmm. That's an extra set of eyes that I trust. And, uh, you know, the, the, the liaison, the broadcast associates, the technical people that are on hand, uh, everyone that's involved in making a, a good show a, a good show. Uh, that are behind the scenes, you, you need to treat them well, uh, because these are the people that make uh, you look and sound good. And uh, if you want to last in this business, that's that's always a key. So uh, I tell every young broadcaster to be themselves, to uh, enjoy the journey, because the journey is the best part. Uh, but make sure that you build uh, relationships every day. Every day is an audition. You're only as good as your last show, and every every day is an audition. Uh, people you least expect that you might have impressed uh, could pay dividends for you down the road without your ever having knowledge that you had impressed them in real time. Well, it's so true. You know, every step of the way, you're learning and growing, and you have to, you know, take care of your colleagues, uh, you know, when you're on a broadcast, you know, you always have to look out for each other. You always have to work together. And it's not just people in front of the camera like yourself. You're exactly right. It's people uh, behind the camera, technical directors, producers, um, people doing stats and information as you uh, were referencing some of those uh, functions of what people are doing, which are very, very important. And integrity, trust, accountability are all uh, attributes that matter. And, you know, if you could dig a little bit deeper in some of those attributes, whether it's, you know, running a family, uh, running a household, you know, an organization, a uh, business organization, a sports team, uh, anything that has to do with the team, talk to me about some of those other key attributes that you think that outside of sports still applies to what you do on a daily basis and people you probably know in, in other professional realms and circles who have to utilize, you know, those uh, attributes to be successful. Well, not many people that are in my business have been married 43 years to the same woman. Uh, not many. I, I think I could count on um, one hand the people I know that have been married to the same woman for four plus decades. Congratulations. So, God bless. Yeah, yeah, I, I am blessed. And you got to be a little lucky for that to happen. Uh, good people do get divorced. Great people get divorced. It just happens. But I was very, very fortunate 
to have married the right woman that uh, in addition to being a, a great friend and uh, someone that I love and she loves back, uh, her strengths happened to be my weaknesses. And uh, I deferred all domestic decisions to her from the jump, from the absolute jump, because uh, my mentors, all of them, uh, from my dad, who told me not to sweat the small stuff, uh, to Kurt Gowdy, who was my professional mentor, one of the great broadcasters, the American sportsman, Kurt Gowdy. Uh, I actually named my little brother Kurt after him uh, many, many years ago. Uh, Gowdy told me, he said, uh, you look like uh, we were at the Final Four in 1982, and he was doing it on radio for CBS Radio Westwood One with Kaywood Ledford. And uh, he, he knew of me through my boss, who had uh, been part of an ownership group in radio. Uh, Kurt owned a lot of radio stations, and, and independent owners had a, a group of, um, of leadership uh, consultations through the course of a year. And my boss talked to him about me. About way back in the 80s, uh, bosses actually helped young people get better jobs. That actually happened in our business once upon a time. Yeah. And, and Gowdy was, um, was very frank with me and said, uh, well, you, you look and sound like a kid that wants it all. You, you don't just want a career. You want to have a, a, a full life, a, a domestic life, too. I said, absolutely. I said, I'm married. Um, uh, my wife's pregnant. And uh, we plan on having uh, as many kids as we can. And uh, yeah, you know, the nuclear family is a part of my, uh, my dream. You know, as much as the, the job, I, I want to have, you know, the American dream at home too. And uh, he, he told me, he, he was quick to point out, well, don't, you know, don't argue about little things. And uh, he says, I hope, she, I hope she knows that the better you get and the more successful you are, the more you're gone. And I said, yep, she's all aware of that. He said, well, let her be in control of the things that you don't have time to care about. And, and uh, you know, color schemes in the house. Uh, what style of home, uh, <laughs> wallpaper, you know, forget that right. because, you know, the more successful you, be, you become, uh, you're just going to be coming in for laundry, you know, and he was right. And uh, so I did everything I could uh, to um, successfully pursue my career, but also keep my family happy. When I moved to Connecticut uh, and started, which was a big move at the time, back in 1986, uh, I, my wife was, was uh, you know, very concerned because she had never been, I think, east of Nashville. And here we you're were. Coming from, from, you were coming from uh, Louisiana. Louisiana, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Yeah. So we, we got up there and she was great. Everyone loved her. We had people over all the time. Our friends and, uh, that we worked with at ESPN were great. We were always sort of the meeting place. But when I left town, she was alone. And... Um, so when the opportunity presented itself for me to stay at ESPN for more, four more years, uh, but to have the, the, the option to leave and move her home, I took that option and I moved her home. And we've been here since uh, 1990. Uh, and, and I think that even though there was maybe a, a slight professional price for me to pay, uh, in the end, it was uh, a message to everyone in the business that this guy is really good at what he does but his roots are where they are and he's going to stay there and uh over time over the long haul you know snapshot from thirty thousand feet if you will uh sure. that was the right call you know it meant that i had to uh work at uh, a bunch of different networks at different times in my life but but that was okay with me because i never considered myself tim brando of espn or tim brando of cbs or tim brando of Turner or Tim Brando at Fox. I'm, I'm Tim Brando. And no matter where I happen to be, uh, that's, that's who you're investing in when you hire me. And, uh, you know, it takes time uh, for people to understand that. But once they do, uh, it's amazing the kind of control it gives you of your own career path, your own life. Whereas uh, if you stay in a place for 20, 25, 30 years, I don't care, even if it's as big as ESPN, you become, um, you go from being an asset to a liability at some point. You lose some of your juice over time. I don't care how talented you are, you just do. And I've always had a vibrant, 
uh, and fresh approach to what I do. And, uh, it, you know, it's not that I haven't stayed places long. I mean, I was at CBS for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hosted the college football today for 16 of those 18 years. I did the NCAA tournament for all 18 years. Uh, I did uh, nine years at ESPN and uh, three wonderful years with, with Turner in between the stops at ESPN and CBS. And now I'm in my eighth year at Fox. And, uh, you know, uh, it's... I, I still think my best shows are in front of me, you know, that, that, that I'm still a work in progress. And, uh, and I think that's part and parcel of the career path that I chose. And now uh, from an industry standpoint, there's literally no one uh, at any network uh, really that I can think of that I, I haven't come in contact with at some point, you know, we're an incestuous industry. Uh, television is really a small business. Sports television, particularly, is a small business, and uh, everyone's uh, derivative of where where they were before. You know, the content like you got to me through uh, a former friend and employee at, at ESPN. Well, there, how many how many former ESPNers are are there out there? A lot. You know, or a lot, especially a lot who came yeah. from ESPN to go to Fox Sports. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and CBS Sports was unloaded in 1994 when they lost the NFL to Fox. And uh, a lot of CBS people infiltrated Fox. And in fact, right. if that hadn't happened, the opportunities afforded me at CBS in 1996 wouldn't have been available. I got to do the NCAA tournament because guys like Vern Lundquist and Dick Stockton uh, were gone. Right. And that created opportunity for me. So, you know, it's the ebb and flow of, uh, of a business. I, I tell people all the time, the only thing about our, our, our business that doesn't change is change. Uh, and, and, but I think a lot of times people get in our business uh, become concerned that, oh, my God, uh, this is a really good position. What if I, I think I probably should just play it safe and stay here. I should just play it safe and stay here. And they fail to count on themselves. They fail to have the self-confidence and self-worth to believe in themselves and, and push themselves. Because at a certain point, uh, and again, this isn't to speak disparagingly of any of my past stops, but in every job, you are an asset to that company for a, a, a period of time. And then the company becomes an asset to you. And once that push-pull gets to a certain point, you become, I, th- I think, vulnerable. And uh, I've always felt that, that uh, I could um, make transitions easy. Uh, and, and I think that if I had not left ESPN to move home, uh, granted, they were kind enough to give me another four-year contract to do that. But I put, a, I put a glass ceiling on my growth pattern when I did that. So I had to know, and I did. I, I was well aware that at a certain point uh, into my second contract, I knew I'd have to go elsewhere if I was going to uh, uh, improve in the business and, and my stock were, were to rise. For my stock to rise, I probably was gonna have to go someplace else. And you know, you did it in such a unique way. I mean, every sports broadcaster, play-by-play broadcaster, studio host, if you will, reporter, they all have their own story of you know, did they go the local station route to get to network or were they able to work at various networks? And for you, for you, it's almost like you're an entrepreneur, you know, because it's like, you know, the analogy of you didn't just stay at one company for so long. You recognized, hey, you know, I like the idea of getting experiences and then, you know, seeing where else I can you know, lend my services to and really, you know, improve my craft each day, you know, really fine tune it. And you were able to maximize, you know, within your career, you were able to maximize all the different stops you were at. And there were some, that's right too. And you were able to make so many great relationships. Yeah. That's a very good point, uh, Garrett, because uh, when I got to ESPN, the, the elder statesman of that company that helped get it started, Scotty Connell and Bill Fitz were from, you know, legends at CBS and NBC, and they tutored and mentored all the young production people, the producers and directors uh, that were there, many of whom 
have uh, become executives either at ESPN or someplace else. Uh, and they were all my age. So literally the work environment in the mid eighties was made up of a bunch of 20 somethings and early 30 somethings. Uh, I was 29 when I started, I was 38 when I left. Uh, we, we, were, we were all in this together. You know, we worked hard, we played hard uh, and, and, and literally put more hours in than I think anybody because we, they didn't have the staff back then. You know, it wasn't owned by Disney. It didn't have uh, uh, all of that Disney cash that was rolling in. There were people thinking uh, when Getty sold it, um, uh, when Getty Oil sold it uh, to Cap Cities, that they were thinking it, it might not last. Uh, but it did. And, and it did, I think, on the shoulders of a lot of people from my age group. But when I left uh, and, and later worked at Turner and then at CBS, I was working with guys like Ernie Johnson Sr., not, not Ernie Jr., his dad. Uh, I was working uh, for um, uh, guys that were, you know, legends in the industry at CBS when the NFL Today began. Bob Wessler was at Turner. Right. Bob created the NFL Today. Uh, to be in the midst of those kinds of people, uh, that, it's just the mixture of incredible uh, talent and, and executive leadership was immense. And when I went to CBS, I was working with, you know, uh, Bob Fishman, you know, a legendary director, uh, Bob Dicas, these guys did a gazillion Final Fours together. And to work with them and Lance Barrow, who worked for Cherkinian doing all of the golf and right. uh, Lance, Lance did my first college football game uh, in 1997 with me there. And, um, you know, and then I got the call in 98 when uh, the NFL came back to CBS Right. Uh, Jim, Jim Nance was moved to the NFL today. They needed a host. Right. And uh, I had, you know, been the original host of college game day at ESPN. And I was certainly equipped to host the college football today on CBS. And so, you know, I, I went from the booth back to the studio. And that, that's another thing. I was uh, equally adept at both studio and play by play, which enhanced my value, I think, and helped me stay busy through all the years. You know, if you're a one trick pony, uh, then you're not as valued. I think if you can do several things and God knows at ESPN in the early days, I did, I still hold the record. I think for most different sports called by a young announcer, I did 25 different sports at ESPN in nine years. That's truly I remarkable. Did all, I did all the things that no one else wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I built my resume. And, uh, and, and now of course, people just know me for the most part as a football and basketball guy, but you know, I've done a lot of golf. I've done really every sport except horse racing and auto racing. But the, the, the number of different influences in my life and decision makers that weighed in on me at some point and said, yeah, we'll go with this guy uh, are varied and vast. And, and that that really helps in a lot of ways as you get older. You know, I'm I'm 65 now, but I've never I've never felt better. And I think that my approach is just as uh, is uh energetic as it was you know when i began uh way back when uh at espn in 1986 and then obviously i've done a lot of local stuff between 1971 when i did my first high school football game on the radio with my dad at age 14 uh and then to baton rouge where i was doing local tv and lsu the launching pad for me was tiger vision uh in the early 80s so you know my my career really goes back to the 70s so uh, this is my fifth decade at it, and uh, I'm as enthused about the next show as I was, you know, 40 years ago. And that's wonderful. You know, when I think about my first internships at NBC in Tampa and CBS in D.C., and I did sports play-by-play -play broadcasting for junior college basketball as an independent broadcaster, and uh, I did a couple high school uh, football games in, in, in Georgia. And right. it, it was amazing. It, it was truly amazing. And, you know, I think back, you know, when I worked at ESPN and, you know, I worked with people like Reese Davis, who now does college game day now, and, you know, working with people like a Robert Flores or a Jesse Palmer, the late John Saunders, John Anderson, Scott, Van Pelton, being their production assistant for the 2011 college football season at ESPN. I was an ABC and ESPN employee, and I was chosen out of one out of 
10 incoming ESPN production assistants. So I thought it was a great honor to have that yeah, designation and to stand out, you know, 10 years ago during that season. Um, when I think of, you know, you mentioned NFL today. I mean, I'm sure you cross paths with, you know, someone like Brent Musburger. I remember when he used to do NFL today and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, talk to me about all the different relationships, you know, and you touched upon them, you know, at each network. I mean, do certain relationship building experiences stand out to you you know people who became mentors or just great colleagues where you just well an instant connection with them yeah well you met you met you mentioned john saunders I, I i there's not anyone i think even currently at espn uh that know me that 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 uh, would not know of my affinity for john and that we were best pals uh we were salt and pepper of uh of sports center in the uh 86, 87 seasons when I, I got there within a week of John's uh, arrival and we were actually, and I still have it to this day. I could uh, send it to you. Uh, We were on the same press release. He was coming from WMAR in Baltimore. I was coming from WAFB in Baton Rouge. Uh, I thought that I was coming up there to, uh, to do some sports center. Yeah. But primarily to, uh, also be a play-by-play broadcaster at the time I was the first contracted employee uh, staff if you will uh, talent that was going to be doing you know uh, 50 sporting events live you know uh, even Berman and Mies and Bob Lee and all those guys had never been allowed to go outside sports center and and do anything I so I was a little bit concerned to be honest with you uh how I would be treated by those that, you know, had been told, no, you're a studio guy and you're never leave, you know, cause I know those guys wanted to do it. Tommy was dying to do the NHL. Boomer wanted to do the NFL. Um, Bob was a, a college basketball and soccer maven. You know, he knew everything about both of those sports. Uh, and here I come in, you know, this Johnny come lately from Baton Rouge with his freedom to do both. Uh, so John and I were the sort of second wave of hirings, if you will. Uh, and the originals were still there. And we were in the boat together. And we had no idea that we were going to be doing the 7 o'clock show together until we got there. Uh, it, was, it was actually in the release. You know, oh, okay. <laughs> hope, I, hope, uh, hope we get along, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's a Canadian. Uh, and, and uh, you know, he... And I'm a I'm a, a Bayou boy, you know, from the South. And I don't know a thing about hockey. I'm having to learn. I've done some hockey. I did it at the Olympic Festival. And just getting through the broadcast was uh, one of the great uh, accomplishments of my life without, you know, screwing up an entire career. Uh, but I, I sought his help in, in sports like hockey that I needed help with. And he did the same with me because he wanted to call some college basketball. And I helped him with that. Uh, he had been really a studio host his entire career you know, back in, in Canada and, and obviously in local TV in Baltimore. So it just so happened that he had a young wife uh, and they were about to have their first child. And Terry and I had a three-year-old and uh, we became fast friends. And uh, he taught me how to play golf. I was a, I was a slow pitch, fast pitch softball player until uh, John got a hold of me and all hockey guys know how to play golf. And he, yeah. I said, I'm going to suck. He says, I don't care if you're, we're going to play. And we went to all the uh, public courses in and around the area in New Britain, the Farmington Woods, out to Stanley, uh, you know, the golf course out there in uh, uh, West Hartford. I mean, wherever we could get on. And, and we just spent basically all of our time together with either just the two of us or with our families. And, um, when, when uh, his wife got pregnant, we threw a surprise shower for them. Uh, it was, he was the best of friends that I had. I had a lot of friends, but he was the best of friends that I had. And it, uh, a little piece of me went when he passed away back in August, uh, six years ago now, uh, when we lost John. Um, it, it hurt. It hurt a lot. And uh, I miss him every day. Because he was a guy that I could literally share everything with, you know, uh, and, and, and building relationships like you're talking about here. I think people need to remember this. And I have a very similar relationship with Spencer Tillman now, 
Uh, we were thrown together literally in my second year at CBS. I had been working with Craig James and Lou Holtz in my first year hosting yeah. the college football show. In 99, Lou took the South Carolina job and right. Craig got elevated to the NFL today. And Spencer Tillman had come over from WABC to work with me. Well, I had done Spencer's audition tape for ESPN like five years earlier, and he got a new contract as a free agent to play in Houston. So he, he decided to make a little more money for a couple of years in football before he got into TV. But he joined me, and you know now we're, we're in the middle of our 24th year together. Uh, the last, we only missed one season. So 23 of the last 24 years, he and I have shared uh, either a studio or a booth in college football. The only year we missed was the year I left to go to Fox. And the year later, uh, Fox had him join me uh, uh, as his career, as his contract ended at CBS. So it was a very similar relationship to the one I have with Spencer. But and I, I want to get back to my point about uh, fr friends and, and, and companions uh, people you really build strong relationships with, okay? Uh, the kind of trust I'm talking about here is so different. You know, you can have a partnership that that is one of convenience, and but you might be on the same side. And if that's the case, then you're, you're, you're comrades. You know, you're fighting for the same side, but are you really connected? Are you friends? That, that means you may be fighting for the same thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're, you're trustworthy. You can be trust, you, you can lack trust with a comrade, okay? Then there are colleagues, someone that maybe you really do feel that you have a good, solid relationship with. That's my colleague. But would you tell your colleague everything? Would you be willing to let him see you at your most vulnerable? I don't think so. I don't think so. When you get to a point within your relationship, when you become confidants, that's, that is special. A confidant is someone that clearly has been a comrade, certainly has to be a colleague, but is an extra special person that you know you can trust, that you can let your hair down with and you can, uh, and I think in today's world, Garrett, when we speak so often of mental health and uh, all that comes with that, uh, people need help a lot of times and you don't even know it, they may be around you, you know? And um, I'll, I'll say this because he wrote a book about it that he didn't get to finish by himself. Uh, John Bacon, the noted author from Michigan finished it off for John. Um, but the book that, that, that John left us to read uh, was really eye-opening to me because as much as I knew about John, and there is not a person on the planet that knew as much about John's circumstances off the air than I did. But I was blown away by some of the things that I didn't know when I read the book. And I immediately called his wife, Wanda, and, and uh, in tears. And I said, gosh, I just, you know, uh, I had just seen John uh, about two and a half weeks well, I had talked to him two and a half weeks earlier, but in February before August, he died in August. And in February, uh, they had had a going away party for Steve Anderson, who was a dear friend, part of that group I was talking about that was young and aggressive and executive. He was a young producer at ESPN, one of my first producers. And uh, he had retired and they had a retirement party for him in Connecticut. And Steve, whom I had been, just really close to. I had not seen in 25 years. And Steve, knowing how close John and I were, said to John, uh, as only he could, it was like, uh, uh, Steve, uh, uh, Steve Steve says to John, John, John you, you talk to Brando, don't you? you? Talk to Tim. And he says, oh yeah, all the time. He says, you know, I haven't seen Tim in forever. I'd really like to see him. So John called me up and uh, he said, are you coming into the city anytime? I said, well, it just so happens uh, on February such and such, I'm coming in for a noon game between St. John's and Seton Hall at the Garden in New York. Yeah. And he says, well, Steve Anderson, I just had a retirement party for him. He wants to see you. I said, oh, man, I'd love that. I said, look, I'll get the tickets and uh, you guys get together, come to the game. And after the game, 
we'll go to his place of choice and we'll we'll just spend the day together which we did we went to uh uh, a great place, Jimmy Neary's, Neary's in, uh, uh, on Lexington, and I can't remember the other street that it connects with, but it's in, Man you know, on the east side of Manhattan, and uh, it's a great Irish pub. Uh, Dave Anderson, Steve's dad, used to go there all the time when he worked at the New York Times. So Steve was like, oh, that's one of my dad's favorite places. So we went, and we told old stories from about, the, the game ended at about 2.15, we got to Neary's at about three. We closed the place down. I think after about 11 o'clock, we'd had the lamb chops, we'd had the drinks, and we were telling old, you know, war stories together. And it was just a great time. Anyway, uh, to fast forward to John's passing, when he when he passed away, I called Wanda and I was like, I had no idea. And I talked to John about a lot of his frailties, about a lot of the foibles that he had and that I, I had as well. And we helped each other as best we could. But since he had had so many other ailments, things that had happened to him that I was not around for. At one point he was in Mount Sinai after he fell down uh, on the job at ABC. And I was there. I was his assistant. And, when, and when you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I was there with Jesse Palmer. Went, and yeah, yeah, he went back in his chair and fell. I was right I, there. That was, that was, I, was, I, was I went to, uh, I went to Carnegie Delity to get him corn, corned beef hash, which he put in the book, by the way, that Brando goes to, gets me the corned beef hash on Fridays. On Fridays, uh, while he was at Mount Sinai, I would pick up corned beef hash and bring it to him and catch up on his health during that entire time. Uh, so I, I really thought I knew a lot, but I didn't know all of it. You know, I didn't know all of it. And uh, so there was even more going on with him than even I did. But he told me, he told me everything and that I know, I, I just want you to know, I love you. And, you know, without you, I don't know what I do. And, you know, it made me feel so good, but at the same time, I felt so less than good that I maybe could have done more, but those, those types of relationships. And I have one now with Spencer. Uh, those are few and far between, you know, if, if you have uh, relationships with five people, like one handful, of relationships with people that you can truly call confidants. Man, what a full life you've had. You know, yeah. I learned that through that process. Well, that, that's just so wonderful that you can be so transparent about your relationship with John. And, you know, I was fortunate to work alongside him as his production assistant for several weeks, and he split time with John Anderson and mm -hmm. uh, Scott Van Pelt, you know, when he had that, you know, accident on the job right. right there and it was just a very emotional time and you know when he came back a few weeks um he came back about seven eight weeks later and he was around for the last three weeks of that season because he wanted to get back and you know he was so humble and just so kind and yeah i remember telling him that you know i'm praying for you and your family and you know let us know how we could be of assistance and he was just so so just so gracious and just so kind yeah. and such a professional that I wish uh, I had the opportunity to get to know, know him longer and work with him. I know that Jesse Palmer and also my producer at the time, uh, Rob Lemley, were really good friends with him. And, yeah. Yeah. and uh, he just a great guy. Um, and well, so, but, but put it this way, yeah. give people an, uh, an understanding. When he was working in the ABC studio with Terry Bowden and I was in the CBS studio, Okay, on Saturdays, working on competing networks. Every Saturday, I would get off the air, go to my hotel, change clothes on West 54th between 6th and 7th at the old Riga Royal. I would head down to Times Square, wait for John to get off the air, and we would go wherever. And, uh, and, and Terry and Spencer on occasion were together with us. But when they weren't, I was still, we were still going to spend time together. If America knew that the two hosts of college football working on rival networks were spending downtime together virtually every Saturday, you know, but we did. And it extended our relationship well beyond the time. We, we only lived in Connecticut together for the four years I was there, you know, yeah. but we maintained contact throughout. John and his family came to my house. We came to his house. If I was ever on the East Coast, if I ever did a 
a Georgetown game. He was a big Hoyas fan, loved Big John. So if I was doing a Big East game, he was there, you know. And if ever in the city with a little extra time, I'd go up to Hastings on Hudson where he lived. And Wanda would know to get like one of the kids' rooms, uh, you know, put a pallet on the floor. Brando's coming and make sure you have his favorite drink available. She did she run to the liquor store to get Brando's favorite uh, brand. And she did. I mean, that's the kind of relationship we had, you know, and uh, I just I'm, I miss him dearly. But that's one special relationship. There are many others. Right. Uh, that 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 have uh, a similarity about them to to john but again i caution everyone to understand in this business that we need to support one another be good to one another but make sure that you know that this person that that you you really believe is your confidant is your confidant that happens over time you can't just imagine it just it doesn't just happen uh you build up chemistry together then you become better as a group, you know, and that, that, right. that's so much of it. When you realize that these people are making you better, okay, uh, then it's like, oh, my God, I need to be good to these, these, these guys or, or these ladies. And, and you, you begin to build that kind of trust. And uh, my relationship with John, I would say, is once in a lifetime, but, but my, my relationship with Spencer has equaled it. Uh, it really has. And I feel so fortunate to be able to say that. And that's wonderful. And do you see certain traits in Spencer that remind you of John? Yes. yes. Wonderful. They're completely different in a lot of ways, uh, but they have a striking similarity in terms of their um, transparency, their, their willingness to be uh, transparent with me. And, and uh, you know, once that's, that's when you know, that's when you know you can share things is when, um, you see that person at their weakest. Okay. Uh, when you're in a private room without consequences and that person and you too are willing to cry and be held by your friend, that is that that's when, you know, you can, you can call that person a confidant that that person is there to pick you up, uh, when you're at your weakest. Um, and, and I've, and I've been that way with, uh, with both men at different times in my life. I totally understand that John has meant so much to you and that what a blessing it is to be able to work with Spencer and be reminded of all those yeah. wonderful, yeah. cherished moments with, with John. And I'm so glad that you have that relationship with Spencer and I'm sure he feels the same way with you. You know, you mentioned, you know, Lou Holtz and he was our, my first guest on the speaker series and obviously Howie was my fifth and he introduced us, which I'm so happy that he did talk about, your relationships with people that we have a mutual association with, with Lou Holtz and Howie Schwab. How did you get to know those gentlemen? I know that you mentioned Lou was one of your yeah. partners. Yeah. Well, Howie uh, actually was hired to, and the entire research department at ESPN was created right. by Howie on the basis of college game day, needing a research guy. He was hired specifically to be the research man for ESPN's college game day. That's what the job was. Uh, we had just started doing live CFA college football the year before in 1985 and 86. And I was actually at the game sites hosting and doing sidelines in 86 uh, that fall season as uh, I was being courted by then head of production, Steve Bornstein to move to Connecticut. And uh, when I took the job, how he comes in. And he's going to be uh, doing the research for our show. And of course, I had to write the scripts for the show. And I, I knew and loved college football. I thought I knew, you know, hey, I know all I need to know. And if there, I figured out real quick that how he knew a hell of a lot more than I knew. And he knows a hell of a lot more than everybody. So uh, but but he has a, 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 a the kind of character that, you know, he deals he deals it and he'll take it. You know, he loves, you know, uh, busting stones and, and I could bust stones right there with him. And that's what made us uh, tick, uh, made the show fun. And uh, really a lot of things about, uh, you mentioned the NFL Today and Brent and all that. That was only 10 years earlier when, you know, the NFL Today started 
1975. There's a book on it now called um, uh, You Are Looking Live. My friend Rich Podolsky wrote that book. Wow. And Rich was a dear friend and roommate of Bino Cook um, at CBS in the 70s. Well, Bino was calling me at the time that we started working together. You're, it was like, you're, you're blanking, blanking for the F word, right? You're blanking baby Brett. You're baby Brett. <laughs> and, uh, which I took as a, a, a compliment. You know, I did. Uh, Musburger sort of created the job. And, uh, but, but Howie, Howie had all the nuggets, all the notes, needed them fast, you know, carrying and bringing those index cards. And he was so into it. And then I would look at him. Part of what made me tick on the set was a willingness to uh, have fun while under pressure. Okay. To, because it's a pressure packed job. You know, in those days we were doing 20 hours in the studio. So it was like a telephone without a tote board, you know, and I'm, you know, knocking down caffeine. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why we had to have drinks after the show. I needed to come down from, <laughs> I know if when I die, whenever that happens, somebody should put on the tombstone. He would have lasted another five years, if not for the caffeine, <laughs> for the caffeine that he had through his career. Because those shows lasted from early in the morning till well after the West Coast games ended in the old Pacific Coast Athletic Association at one or two in the morning in San Jose, you know. And uh, but uh, given Howie grief and Howie giving grief back was part of, it, you know, just busting his balls as much as I could. And he did the same thing to all of us. Um, and, and, and but we built a, an incredible relationship from that. And if. It was almost like he'd give me the information and whatever the information was, it begged for a question, you know, be like the first time since 1946 that this has happened. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, who were they playing in 46 when this happened? They would give me one of those. I need to know who they were playing. You know, I always wanted more. And, and uh, as much as he loved it, he, he, he thought I was doing it just to piss him off, you know, <laughs> which I sort of was, but that's how we rolled back in those days. Right. Um, Lou Holtz uh, was one of the great characters that I got to follow in coaching during the time that I was uh, hosting game day. And my first year when I left college game day, I was still obviously at ESPN and they paired me with Vince Dooley to call games in the fall of 89. And we were the number two CFA crew. Uh, Ron Franklin and Mike Godfrey were the main crew. We were the, the, the second crew, which meant we were doing afternoon games. And they were doing prime time. And uh, I got to call a Notre Dame-Pitt game when Mike Godfrey was coaching Pitt. And they were undefeated playing at Notre Dame. And uh, Coach Holtz was just awesome. You know, about a year or two earlier, uh, I'd made a bet with Bino on the set that uh, Miami would beat Notre Dame in the Catholics versus convicts game. And when the fumble happened in the end zone, and I still believe Cleveland Gary scored, I still believe it, but he didn't. And uh, they won the game. I was forced to go to, to Notre Dame. The bet was if they lose, Vino uh, said, if Coach Renee wins, you go to Notre Dame and sing the victory march. Well, the next morning at like four, uh, like seven o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, our coordinating producer, Terry Leaner calls and says, well, look, uh, Stevie B, that was Steve Bornstein. Stevie B says, you better get ready. We're sending you to South Bend. You got to sing the victory <laughs> march to Notre Dame. Holtz played along with the whole bit, all right? And uh, I, I took the uh, helmet. Let me see if I'll take a similar helmet. Yeah. I took the Notre Dame helmet, and I held it up, and I went, -da 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 -da. cheer, cheer for old Notre Dame. Wake up the echoes cheering her name. Send the volley cheer on high. Shake down the thunder from the sky. What though the odds be great or small, old Notre Dame will win overall. While our loyal sons are marching onward to victory. You know, so I get through with it, put the helmet down. And so, you know, Tony Rice, Ned Bolkar, all these guys on that great, uh, they were number one. It was the year after they won the championship. And uh, so I'm holding it up and, and, and Holtz looks, I mean, just deadpans, looks right at me. I said, what'd you think of that coach? He says, yeah, it was really good, Grando, but most of you just need a bigger arm. In other words, hold on. <laughs> you need a bigger arm. Right. 
And uh, so I held on to that tape. And uh, when he came to, when I came to replace Nance at CBS, I had that tape ready for him. I said, hey, coach, you know, remember that? You know, and I came in. He, he, he autographed the Notre Dame helmet, gave it to me. I brought the helmet in to CBS. And he says, yeah, he says, I, you know, I don't give swag to everybody, Brando. Not everybody gets swag. I gave you the swag because you had the guts to do it. And I had this stupid kazoo, you know, that uh, it would give me the beat. Da, 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 da. You know, the kazoo went off and then I had to go with it. To, I couldn't remember the words if I didn't have the kazoo playing along with it. You know, you kind of got to get into it. To, but, um, you know, that's that very year. Uh, working with he and, and Craig actually had started at ESPN when I was still there. So I'd worked with Craig a little bit in the studio and like doing half times. After my year with uh, Vince Dooley, I came back to do half times and between game shows when Fowler had finally taken over game day. Right. And uh, they had turned it into a two host gig. And so I would fly up to Connecticut on weekends. I did that in 90, 91, and 92. Right. Uh, before uh, Tarico came in in 93 and um, but it was just uh, it was incredible that that here's Holtz with me now as a colleague and uh, he's now suddenly up for the South Carolina job and right. CBS CBS put he and Craig and I on a couple of NFL games together so we did this Saturday show and then we were being driven in a limo to Baltimore to do a Ravens game Right. And, and he's in the, he's in the limousine and he's, he's lying across one way and Craig and I are back here. And he's like, if I go to South Carolina, do I give up my legacy at Notre Dame? And we're like, Lou, no, you're always going to be the coach at Notre Dame, whether it goes well at South Carolina. Jesus, I don't know. I said, what is this? She loves me. She loves me not. She loves me. She loves me. (laughs) It was just, uh, you know, incredible times. Uh, he actually, we did a game in Nashville and uh, Mike McGee, who was the athletic director, the late Mike McGee, uh, was the athletic director of South Carolina. He wanted to get Lou Band. Lou did not have an agent. He negotiated his own deal. And Mike McGee called me in the Nashville airport and said, so I'm having problems with Lou. You know, what do I have to, I mean, he, he's got the job. He's just he just hasn't signed the contract. Well, you need to get the contract signed. I said, well, what's the problem? He says, well, I don't know. It has something to do with, you know, how many people he wants on his staff. We'll get whoever he wants. He's not returning my calls. How do I get him to return my calls? I said, Mike, I'm waiting on a bag right now at the Nashville airport. Lou is here. Just call the airport, have an emergency call for Lou Holtz. If Lou Holtz gets an emergency call in an airport, and it's you, he's going to think, oh, my God, I am the cock of the walk. <laughs> Swear to God, it's like a minute and a half later. We have a call for Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz was echoing through the entire airport. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Lou looks at me and says, can you see it's South Carolina? I said, it's, it's got to be. Who else would it be? Beth wouldn't do that to you. No, she wouldn't. His wife. I said, no, no, no it wouldn't be Beth. I said it wouldn't be Skip either. It's got to be. It's got to be McGee. So there you have it. There's my story on how I duped Lou Holtz before wow. the South Carolina job. No, I love that story. I love that anecdote. You know, I Coach Holtz signed his autobiography for me, and he said, "Nice work with you at ESPN. Every day, someone does something great. Today, make that someone be you, Lou Holtz. Yeah, I live yeah. By it every day." It's yeah. such a powerful message, simple yet profound. I have, I have, uh, I have this. I need to show you. I have, I have two. My Notre Dame helmets are down on the stairwell. I have helmets all the way up my stairwell here at the house. This is my Steve Spurrier South Carolina helmet. Wonderful. Okay. But this, this one is one that got banged around quite a bit. You can see it's an older one. It's got scars on it, okay? Right, right. This is the one from Holtz. This is the one from Holtz right here. Beautiful. That's amazing. And he I, says, love I love he that. It's right there, you see. He says, uh, Chuchin Brando, you're the best. You're the best. And only the very best get to wear this helmet. 
<laughs> what an honor. That's amazing. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yes. You know, when you hang around long enough, uh, the things that the, 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 uh, the things that come along with it are, are pretty cool. Those are pretty cool. Spurrier was also a hoot. I wish he had done TV, but he just didn't have the patience for it. You know, he, I recommended that he come to CBS when he quit, but he was like, Oh, Tim, I, I won't do that. You know, I'll just piss somebody off. I'll say something. You know, coaches all get mad at me. I don't need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, Holtz doesn't mind if he pisses anybody off. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody has a different temperament. And I think coach Holtz over the years, he got into a nice groove, you know. Oh, he did. He, uh, he uh, the whole Dr. Lou thing was just a magnificent deal. Yeah. That was one of the best. I, I wish we had thought of it when we had him at CBS, but we only were together for a year. If he had stayed long enough, maybe we would have thought of it. But sure. you know, he, he was only there for a short time. But um, Lou, Lou was the kind of guy that would tell you. Yeah, I really, I don't need you. I don't need to come down to the lobby for drinks because it was just turned into, you know, people be tugging at me and stuff. And I'm, I'm like, hey, you're right. He, he wanted the attention as badly as anyone. Uh, I mean, the, the moment that he got, the moment the South Carolina rumors began, he would be down there in the lobby of the Riga Royal and uh, people would come in and there were all a bunch of Notre Dameers, a bunch of Golden Domers were always in New York. And they were like, uh, and coach would say to me, is it going to bother you if I take the South Carolina job? <laughs> and then, then he'd start talking football and he was big about taking people's drinks or salt shakers or whatever. And, you know, we had just play, we had to shine the shot here. And, you know, he, he did that all the time. Uh, he was really in a lot of ways, uh, kind of an America's guest kind of guy sure. you know, could walk into any room meet somebody for the very first time and just uh, wow them, you know, and uh, uh, very similar uh, qualities to a guy like Valvano, who was another, you know, you know, incredible personality that could have done anything and been successful. Uh, Lou, uh, I've always been amazed that the Washington Speakers Bureau, uh, whom I've done a little bit of work with, not a lot, but a little, they they all still tell these stories about um, Holtz and Valvano, and especially with Lou. At one point, he was making more per speech than anyone they had. Wow! And I thought to myself, my God, what does that say about this guy? Here's a here's a young guy that you know began at William and Mary coaching, had never played the game, uh, but began at William and Mary, and now he's the the highest paid. Uh, He's the highest paid public speaker for the for Washington Speakers Bureau, and he's got a speech impediment. I mean, what a, think about that. He had, you talk about dynamic. You know, you got to be incredibly dynamic, and, and he was all of those things. I, I, I keep up with Lou from distance now because Skip is coaching just down the road over at Louisiana Tech, and uh, Skip's a wonderful guy, and, you know, he's uh, it's just a great family. Uh, Lou. Lou lost Beth just a short time ago, which I know was tough on him. Uh, but boy, you talk about somebody that was the uh, anchor of his world. You know, Beth was certainly that for a lot of years in that entire family. Yeah, she she definitely was. And I would always keep in touch with Coach Holt, still keep in touch with him uh, periodically throughout the years since we worked together and through his executive assistants too. And my father and I had lunch with him a few years ago at Lake Nona near where he lives and you know I was so honored to have him as my first you know guest on this speaker series and it's so great to to talk about him with you and you get to learn so many different things about you know Howie Schwab and Coach mm-hmm. Holtz because you had those opportunities to get to know them on a very personal level it's nice it's nice it adds more of a dynamic to this to this podcast and when you think about, you know, throughout your career, what are the biggest life lessons that, you know, from a relationship building standpoint, or just, you know, words of wisdom that you can impart on these newer generations of up and coming broadcasters, because the relationships that, you know, you talk about, and that I even experienced at ESPN myself, you know, 
I don't know how it is today because I've been away from ESPN now almost a decade. Mm -hmm. uh, that's how much time has elapsed, but I still keep in touch with so many people there. And now I'm back in the media doing a lot of uh, appearances on Fox Business Network and other outlets. So I have a, now somewhat of a reconnection with that world and, and what it's like. But, you know, everybody's story is going to be different throughout the their generation and throughout their journey but what can you what words of wisdom can you offer to you know up and coming broadcasters or just up and coming professionals who are looking to lead an organization a team a family um you know maybe at their church you know what are your words well first and foremost i think uh to be willing to you got to be willing to meet and greet everyone that comes into your life every day to be, uh, you know, I, I oftentimes see people in, in our, in this happens in our business too, that purposely don't want to be seen because they're afraid they're going to have to address this or that person. And, you know, just, I, I can't imagine being fearful of that. Uh, you don't have to be a type A or, um, tremendously charismatic to be welcoming. I mean, ours is a business of uh, relationships, you know, hello, how are you? How you doing? You know, <laughs> uh, don't be afraid that the person that is responding to you is going to say, I'm not worth a damn. Why are you asking me? You know, that's not what people are going to do. I think in today's world, uh, it's become so soiled by the rhetoric that's out there, the negativity that exists politically, socially, uh, social media, especially, I think is aided and abetted all of that negativity. And so people are worried that, uh, that, that somebody is going to see them uh, say or do something that um, could embarrass them or, uh, or, or that maybe somebody's watching them do something. Uh, you can't worry about that. You can't worry about, you know, the phone. You know, we're, we still should be a hello, how are you doing media? Okay, we're asking people to welcome us into their homes uh, all the time in this business. And even if, you're the, even if you're behind the scenes, you still need to be able to work with a number of people with a lot of different backgrounds from all over the world. You know, that the old saying for Monday Night Football was we were Mother Love's traveling freak show. You know, Dandy Don Meredith and Frank Gifford and um, Howard Cosell back in the day. You know, what made them click? What made them work? He had the good old boy from Vernon, Texas. He had the sharply built and uh, uh, urban educated at SC and New York giant stud Frank Gifford. And then you had Howard Cosell who represented a part of life that maybe was completely different. And Howard baited one and the other one baited. The, that's what made it work. It worked. They didn't have to be fast friends. They, and right. there were times when it's been written that they were antagonists, but they made it work. Um, we have to be able to deal with the people that are in our profession, but they still have to cohabitate. They still have to find right. a way to work together towards a, a common goal. And, and that's true uh, in every aspect of life, just not just um, just team, you know, um, not to get overly uh, spiritual, but uh, there was a time in my life when I was 15 years old that I got to go on a, um, a trip with a bunch of fellow athletes. I was part of a fellowship of Christian athletes uh, that, that, that visited Estes Park, Colorado. And you had to be an athlete, yes, but everyone came from different denominations, and it was, um, I think it was like three buses from our hometown that went, and there were, I mean, thousands upon thousands of athletes that were in Estes Park for a little over a week, and, uh, you know, we all had different backgrounds, and we all were part of the, the huddle groups, you know, the huddle, the team, uh, the influence, and for a period of time, it didn't matter that I was Catholic or that the quarterback was Protestant or that the uh, team manager was Jewish. It, it, what mattered was that we were together and we were experiencing one another's influence on one another, finding a way to be 
influential. Uh, could be someone's greatest legacy. Uh, the impact that influence carries. We're all here for a short time. And in that short time, I pray to God at some point I have influenced without even my knowledge some other person in the right possible way. And now there are those that I will take time with and mentor and hopefully influence because I want to. But if I have the ability to influence without even trying, and that's special. And uh, I, I learned that at a, at a key age and in, in a key time in my life as I was becoming a man. And I was at that time, you know, not a great athlete, but a decent one, one that could play. And uh, the team is what mattered the most. You know, that old line from Beauchamp Beckler, the team, the team, the team. And, and uh, I, I used to joke because of my personality. Um, Randall's such a team guy. So yeah, there's, there's, there's no I in team, but there isn't Timmy B. <laughs> I used to joke about that, but, but I, I do think that, that, that our family, for instance, you know, we have all T's in our name. My wife, my wife's name is Terry. My daughter's names are Tiffany and Tara. If you follow me on social media or Facebook or anything, you, you know about my family. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty open about my family and, and their success story. And, What's going on with them? Um, that, that's something I want to project, okay, about, you know, who I am and who we are as a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, whatever I've accomplished as Tim Brando, it was done because of Team Brando. We are a team. Everything that we do is as a team. And we celebrate that team all the time. I take that same mentality into the workplace. You know, these are my guys. These are my, this is my team. If you follow me uh, before a game, we'll take a picture. Here we are in uh, Ohio Stadium, the bank, you know, on the, uh, the, uh, the old horseshoe of the banks of the Olentangy. And here are my guys, Scott Alexander, Brett Bender, Spencer Tillman, Tim Brando, our liaison, Wiggy. This is my team. These are my guys. Uh, I celebrate every team I'm a part of. I want to celebrate that team. And uh, that's genuine. That's not, that's not just for show. That's for influence. That that's about influence. And uh, as I said at the very top of our conversation, uh, Garrett, we are dress rehearsing for the very next great thing that will happen in our lives, every day of our lives. Uh, I've had it happen a million times. Something great happens to me at just the right time, and I call the person responsible for that happening, and I'll say, "Okay, who do I need to thank?" Who do I need to call that maybe I don't know about? I'm sure somebody said some good things. You know, we live in a, a, a world of images and impressions and uh, somebody uh, somewhere that I don't know about probably weighed in and said something good about me that took this over the top and, and you hired me. So tell me who it is. I can't tell you how many times someone would say, well, so-and-so. And I'm like, what? God, I worked with that guy for like eight years. I had no idea he liked my work, you know, but well, you never know. Well, Mike Hill, Mike Hill from uh, ESPN, who now is at Fox Sports. That's right. I, I work with Mike. Yeah. Mike's great. He was another one of my guests last week, and he said something very similar to what you said. There's somewhere someone is talking about you in some way, shape or form. And he said it to that effect. And I'm just paraphrasing what he said, but it yeah, just, yeah. when you said it, that reminded me. And yeah. that's great that both of you said something similar. You never know who might be discussing you and you hope that, you know, how you've carried your life and how you conduct yourself personally and professionally. If you hear that someone was talking about you, or if you knew that someone was talking about you, you would fit something good knowing how deep inside you have conducted right. your own right. situation. You know, yeah, I, look, uh, we're in a subjective business and, and every, there, there are a lot of uh, quote unquote pundits or hot takers or people that are just throwing things out. And look, I, I, I give a lot of opinions. People might uh, disagree with those opinions, but at least they know that the opinions are coming from the, uh, a place of, uh, of love and a place of trying to make things better. And it's subjective, but in the end, uh, 
if the person that is saying something negative about someone doesn't know who that person is, they just are upset because of that person having said something. I don't care that those people uh, have a dislike for me because they don't like my opinion. If they're that shallow, let them. If they're that shallow, let them. But if anybody that's ever come in contact with me uh, has a, an issue with maybe an opinion I might have given, as long as that person could say, God, boy, I don't, I hate that. I hate that, that, that he feels that way. But you know what? I bet the guy's a pretty good guy. Then, then that's what I want to be out there. That's what I want people to believe. And uh, just in the workplace, especially, and that's what your thing is about. It's about, you know, building uh, leadership uh, and having people follow. You're not going to get anyone to follow if you don't influence those people properly. Right. And uh, that's why I think it's such a key word. And I think on that note, thank you so much. I mean, I think that we covered it all. I love all the an anecdotes that you provided. You know, you reference a lot of different relationships that have come through your life in a lot of situations. And you've added so much excitement and humor to it, too. A lot of laughs, too. I really enjoyed the spirit of conversation, Tim. And I really want to thank you for sharing your insights on what relationship building means to you. And a team environment is practically every part of our life. And it doesn't matter what form it is. You know, you always have to have a team around yeah. you. And there are going to be leaders and followers. And maybe those roles are interchangeable at times. But if you're open to new ideas and how to go about strategizing a new course of action to accomplish a desired result, that's so either common with your team or just that you'd like to emulate having seen other teams do it or just having your own unique approach. And that's what makes you who you are. And they always say in life, when I say they, meaning like your family or your colleagues or your, you know, your bosses or whomever, uh, mentors, they always say, just be yourself. You yeah. Know? Just be yourself be you, be, be you and do good and you'll do great life. Thank you, Gary. I really enjoyed it. This was a lot of fun for me too. I can't believe we had not met. Uh, yes. Uh, our timing was just a little off here or there, but uh, I'm not, I'm, but I'm not surprised that we have a lot of the same friends. So it was a lot of fun. If I can ever be of service to you, reach out anytime. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to stay in touch and I keep, can't wait to, you know, keep you abreast of everything that's going on. I'm so glad that we do have those mutual friends and associations and thanks so much for all your time. And I definitely will stay in contact. And I, my philosophy is never burn a bridge that's and right. keep, keep relationship building and keep uh, networking and, you know, developing, you know, new ideas and ventures and endeavors. And yeah. you know, I'm so happy that we did this and I can't wait to, uh, do something like this with you in the near future. You got it. Uh, yeah, you don't burn many bridges if you've worked at every network but one. <laughs> so true. Exactly. You're a living take example of, of that. Yeah, take care of yourself, my friend. All the best. Thank you, Tim. All the best to you, too. And I can't wait to talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.